Now, we got to jump right back into our sermon series here because we're working through what we call Jesus' farewell message. We're going together through that last night of Jesus' ministry from the upper room, now on the way towards the Garden of Gethsemane. We just have this week and then one more, and so we're really at the very last words, the final things that Jesus conveyed to his team, his disciples, before being arrested later on that evening. Now, Jesus has just got done as they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, explaining to them that really the only way, the the key to Christian living, the key to the Christian life, the purpose of all of this is for us to be connected to Him, for us to abide in Him, that He'll produce fruit in our life if we remain connected to Him in a real life-giving way. Then after that, where we left off last week, Jesus tells them, guys, that things are going to get hard, that it's not just all going to be easy. In fact, he says to them, guys, you need to understand if the world hates me, it's going to hate you guys too. And he continues on with this conversation and this way of thinking at the start of chapter 16. He says to his disciples, I'm going to read verse 1 through 15. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they know not, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, well, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us today to hear what it is that you're saying to us, God. and Help us to do more than just know it in our mind, but to apply it to our life. To allow your word to bring transformation by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you notice the message title that I chose for today, I chose the title uh, uh, that why the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Now, full uh, transparency, I stole this directly right out of a book, J.D. Greer, which we have the book here in our uh, bookstore. It's called um, Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit Inside is Better Than Jesus Beside You. It's an excellent book and I'd recommend it, but it's something we need to wrestle with because right off the bat, we hear that title and we we begin to to bristle a little bit. We struggle with this truth. So we've got to decide, is this really true? 
Is it really true that having the Holy Spirit in us forever is actually better than walking and talking physically with Jesus beside us? Now, I want to tell you that the apostles, Peter wrote about this. He believed this. He and the other apostles and hundreds of other men and women who were friends of Jesus, who lived amongst Jesus, had the incredible privilege of seeing with their own eyes Jesus, the Son of God, in the flesh, incarnate. They were eyewitnesses to everything that we've read about, and they were eyewitnesses, friends of Jesus. But Peter wanted you and I to understand that even though we haven't had the opportunity to physically see Jesus yet the way that he did, that does not put us at a disadvantage in our faith as those who did see them with their own eyes. 1 Peter 1, 8-9. This is how Peter says it. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, what Peter is saying is great and as glorious as it is to have seen Jesus with your own eyes. The fact that you have not yet seen him with your own eyes does not put you at a disadvantage. It doesn't make your faith any less genuine or fervent than the faith of those who were eyewitnesses. Because you got to remember, friends, there is a day coming when we'll all see him. There is a day coming where we'll all see him exactly how he is, face to face, eye to eye. One thing we need to remember about the eyewitnesses during Jesus' life is there were thousands, tens of thousands, of people who saw Jesus with their own eyes. They watched Jesus do incredible miracles and saw it with their own eyes, but never really saw Jesus in the most meaningful way that the term is used. They saw it with their eyes, but they never experienced what it means to really see Jesus in faith. And here in John 16... Jesus says this crazy thing that I just can't get over that we talked about already once, but I keep telling you, why do we, is there so much repetition in these final words of Jesus? There's so much repetition in these final words of Jesus because he really wants us to get this, friends. He really wants us to understand. And Jesus says the most crazy thing. He says, friends, it's actually better for you all that I leave. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking? How could that possibly be true? He, Jesus says, it's better for you all. It's to your advantage that I go. Because if I go, the Holy Spirit can come and indwell you and empower you. So beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 11, Jesus is going to talk about what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes. But see, we make this huge mistake as Christians. We hear about the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do when He comes, and we begin immediately thinking about what the Holy Spirit does out there instead of what the Holy Spirit does in here. We begin thinking that these are all things that the Holy Spirit is going to go out and do sort of apart from us, when in reality, Scripture is going to be really, really clear that the Spirit wants to do these things in and through us. Not just that the Spirit moves around freely in the air. Now, just a side note here. I never want to put any restrictions on what the Holy Spirit can and will do. He is God, after all, right? But I can tell you that we need to understand this, that the primary way, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is done in 
and through us, through believers, through the church. I want you to look again at verse 7. This is what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. This is something we're going to need to underline in our notes. We're going to need to circle it. We're going to need to put uh, brackets around it, however you like to take notes. But you need to emphasize that when the Spirit is promised here by Jesus, He's promised to you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Spirit not just into the world in this kind of uh, mystical way. No, He's sending, I'm going to send my Spirit to you, to my followers. So let's return for a moment to what Jesus had said earlier about when the Spirit came, about when the Holy Spirit, the Helper, comes. Remember just a few weeks ago, John 14, this is what Jesus said. I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. Now, we remember, we talked about that word, a Helper, an Advocate, a Counselor, a Comforter. He'll be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you'll know Him, For He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, the Spirit's primary work on this earth is to live in us and empower us to carry on the work of Jesus. And you need to understand this. The Spirit in us is able to carry on the work of Jesus in a way that while Jesus was on the earth, He could never do. What does that that mean? Well, it means that Jesus was limited to a single place in a single body at one spot at a time. Jesus limited himself that way by coming in the flesh. But now in the day of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is present everywhere that the people of God are present. So everywhere that somebody who's received the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is able to work. We, we We talk about being his body We talk about being his hands and his feet. That's what we're talking about. That Christ is physically present through and by the Holy Spirit, not just in one location, but all of the earth wherever his people are located. So that whenever the body of Christ, the church, is worshiping or fellowshipping or discipling or ministering or evangelizing, the Holy Spirit is working to do the things that Jesus said he would, like bring conviction to the people of this world. See, we miss the point that Jesus is trying to make if we start thinking of the Holy Spirit as doing all of these things independently of us. See, the Spirit is accomplishing what Jesus is describing through us as He indwells us. We have a role to play in all of this, friends. So I'm just going to give you the life point right at the start of the message. The life point is this. We, we the church are the means through which the Spirit does His work in this world. We, the church, are the means by which the Spirit does His work in this world. And friends, it's really important that we get this. Because the moment that Jesus is talking about here, this moment in time that Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit coming, you may not realize this, but this is the crux, the pivot point, the focal point of all of human history. Everything has been leading up to this moment in history, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. 
and the relationship between God and mankind was broken. God, His original dream, remember, was to dwell amongst His people, to live in and through, to provide for and be with in close, united fellowship with His people. That was broken in the garden. But because of what Jesus is about to accomplish through dying on the cross and paying the the price we could never pay, through his death on the cross, when he said, it is finished, what he was saying is everything necessary has been taken care of so that now, the, the most focal point in human history, now God's spirit can once again dwell amongst his people, that God can once again inhabit his people. Friends, this is a massive moment in history, and we just kind of pass over it oftentimes. This is the moment that Ezekiel the prophet was talking about when he said, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and carefully obey my regulations. This is the moment in time that the prophets have spoken of. And friends, we need to, you need to hear me today. We must not lose sight of how special a time and how special of days that you and I get to live in. We must stop listening to the lies of our enemy that tell you that everything on this earth is bad and that life is pointless and that the enemy is winning because it's a lie. The Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God is alive and well on this earth through His people. We get to live in the day of salvation. Did you know that every single day that the sun comes up, 174,000 people are making first-time commitments to follow Jesus Christ? Did you know that 3,500 new churches open every single week in this world, worldwide. And no matter what the enemy is telling you, friends, the truth is that through the Spirit of God, God is building His church. No wonder the enemy pushes back so hard. No wonder when you turn on your news, you see so many of these things happen because he's desperate and he's losing the battle. Jesus is winning. He has won. Friends, listen. The Holy Spirit in us, His church, is ushering in, is walking in, is living in the goodness of the kingdom of God in our world. He's bringing His fruit into this world through us. He's saving people, healing people, restoring, building His church all over the world. Remember what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Do you think Jesus is a good builder? Do you think he can finish what he starts? Do you think he's able to accomplish what he promised to accomplish? See, he's able, he's willing, and he's doing it by his Spirit in us. We live in incredibly blessed days that we should be thankful for. Matthew 13, 16 through 17, Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. 
And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. 1 Peter 1, 10-12, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about His gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. This is the time, this is the age in which we get to live because the Holy Spirit is in us. God is wrapping up this grand story and He's using His church friends to bring about His justice, His will, His power, His fruit in this world. Now, this is kind of great big grand idea stuff, right? So let's get practical. Okay, so if this is all true and it's such a awesome thing to live in the day of the Spirit, we've got some questions we need to be willing to wrestle with. So I want to give you something really practical today, and it's a second life point. The second life point is this, and then we're going to flesh this out. It's the normal Christian life. I'm going to, the normal Christian life is walking with and following the Spirit of God. The normal, not super special, the normal Christian life is walking with and following the Spirit of God. So here's my question that we've got to work out a little bit here. How do we do that? How do we walk with and follow the Spirit of God? So I just am going to give you and try to be as practical as possible this morning five ways that we together can follow the Holy Spirit. Five ways that we can walk with and follow the Spirit of God. And here's number one. This should be of no surprise to you because I keep harping on it every single week and Jesus keeps bringing it up over and over and over. The number one way that we follow the Spirit is through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. Do you want to know the will of God? Then read the Word of God. God's will is discovered in His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, there's a few promises in there that are massive, that you would be complete, whole, and equipped for every good work. Those are pretty big promises, aren't they? A lot of times we have questions that we wrestle with that that God actually wants to give you answers to, certainty to. I have people on a regular basis, I shouldn't frame it like that. Let me say, I do this on a regular basis where I ask, well, God, what would you have me do here? Where God has actually specifically spoken through his word and given us exactly what we should do here. He's told us what we should do. And I just want to say to myself, why do you make this so hard? Because God's actually built into His Word promises attached to His uh, blessings, attached to His promises, that if we'll just be obedient and walk in His ways, we'll experience those pre-built-in blessings that God has already made available to us. But we have to follow Him. 
and obey Him to experience that. You know, the Bible is full of truth that if we applied it to our life, would lead us into freedom and blessing. Truth for your family, truth for your finances, truth for how you uh, function at work, truth for your sex life, truth, every, you can, the amount of things that the Bible addresses and attaches blessing and promises to, it's staggering how much is there. And yet so often we say these crazy things like, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Well, let's spend some time in the Word because so many of these things God addresses there. God gave us Scripture according to 2 Timothy so that we could be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we would be able to walk in and experience God's will for our life. Now, there's four more things I'm going to cover, but we need to first understand this. The next four that I'm going to cover all need to be held open-handed and interpreted and applied to, number one, the Word of God. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about some other ways that God leads us, but you need to understand God will never ever lead you in a way that is contrary or, or in a different direction than what He has revealed to us in Scripture. That Scripture is the way that we know whether something or not is from God or is leading us. So the next ones we don't want to get carried away with, but they are important that we understand. Okay, So I'm not going to assign a percentage to say that 99%, but I'm telling you, everything has to be The Word of God speaks, and we need to be obedient to that, but God also does speak in some other ways. So here's another way He speaks to us, is in our giftings. He speaks to us in and through our gifting. I just love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's great uh, fiction work. And in that fiction work, there's this place where the children all come, and Father Christmas is there, and he gives each of them a gift that they really don't understand at the time. They're given these gifts, and they really don't know what to do with these gifts until later on when they're in battle. And they suddenly start to realize, Lucy realizes, hey, this gift, this healing ointment that Father Christmas gave me, was because he intended me to help bind up the wounded in battle. Later on, Peter realizes, hey, this gift of this sword was given to me because I'm supposed to lead the assault. And I just love this imagery that the children understand what they're supposed to do by looking at the gifts that they've been given. I think this is one of the ways that God leads us as well. That God leads us by giving us each spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it like this. A spiritual gift has been given. Now, I need your help here. What's it say next? To each of us. A spiritual gift has been given to each of us so we can help each other. A spiritual gift has been given to each of us so we can help each other. So they're given to all of us. And why? So that we can help each other. In three different places, Paul has these lists of spiritual gifts in Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And they include all kinds of things, from hospitality, to mercy, to generosity, to evangelism, to leadership, to vision, to faith, to prayer, to healing, to tongues, and interpretation. There's tons of things in these lists. So the question is, how do you know which one is yours? How do you know which one you have? Because the Bible says, each of us has been given a gift. So how do you know? I'll tell you, some people really like spiritual gift tests. They help them to pinpoint. They use like a Myers-Briggs style, multiple choice. And I suppose, you're going to get my opinion here in a second. I suppose 
It is possible, again, I never want to limit the Holy Spirit and how He can speak to us and lead us and guide us. It is possible. I mean, just think for a minute. When the disciples needed to choose a new uh, one to join the twelve after Judas leaves, what did they do? They cast lots and they chose Matthias based on rolling some dice. Okay, so the Holy Spirit can work in strange ways. Okay, but I'm a bit cynical of spiritual gift tests. Because they often seem more like Christian horoscopes than anything else. See, I know so many people who have taken them and then feel really confused by the results that they've gotten and don't ever know how to get involved in using their gifts because it comes up with something like apostle and they're like, well, I guess I'm in charge now. See, I think there's a better way for us to really walk in and receive the gifts I believe the gifts are best discovered through and in serving. See, as you serve, you begin to discover areas of your life where you experience supernatural grace. As a side note, have you ever thought about spiritual gifts as tangible expressions of God's grace to us? That how do we experience tangibly God's grace? Well, listen to what Peter said in in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Tangible expressions of God's grace. So what Peter's saying is as we discover and as we serve, our gifts are ways that we can tangibly experience the grace of God. See, the best way that I know how to discover your gifting is to begin to serve. And as you begin to serve, you look for areas of supernatural grace. And I'll just give you a side note. It's usually not you that notices this. It's other believers who come alongside of you and see something in you that maybe you can't see yourself that says, hey, when you do that thing, I experience God's grace. I just want to encourage you with that. Friends, if you want to discover your gifting, then get involved in serving. Find ways to begin to serve and use your spiritual muscles and you'll begin to discover how God has wired you and how God is leading you to serve. Here's number three. Number three, way God leads us by His Spirit is through the church. In fact, in the book of Acts, this is the most common way that God is leading His people is through the church. Now, Sometimes leadership of the Spirit through the church can come off as simply as, as receiving wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. But friends, oftentimes when the Spirit is leading us through the church, it's, it's not just mere wisdom and counsel. In fact, Acts 13, chapter 2, talks about a prayer meeting at a local church where the church has been praying and fasting, and this is what happens. Verse 2, While they, this is the church in Antioch, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. See, God gave his church this specific insight to set aside Saul and Barnabas. And several times throughout the book of Acts, we see God working in this way, speaking through the gathered people, speaking through the church, using guys like Agabus to bring words of instruction to Paul, using Paul to bring words of instruction to Timothy. Nothing indicates when you would read through Scripture that God has stopped speaking through his people and through the church. 
I can tell you for myself, this is something I've experienced all throughout my life, dozens and dozens of times. I can tell you stories of people in the church or meetings that I've been in in the church where God specifically gave us direction to what He would have us do next. Now, I'm compelled to tell you, if I bring this up, I need to give you the other side of the coin. Sometimes people can be off with this. And just because someone says to you that the Holy Spirit told me to tell you this doesn't mean that they're right. You see, Scripture says that we have to test and weigh everything that's spoken to us through prophecy. We have to make sure that it lines up with what God is speaking to us and through His Word. This is where it says it, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. It says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecy. But... Test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. See, the Bible tells us that we are to test everything that is said in the prophetic. And see, does this line up with Scripture? Does this resonate with what God is speaking into my life? But friends, we must not make this mistake that because we don't understand something perfectly or because something's somewhat scary that we just throw it all out. Because for 2,000 years, God has been communicating with His people through the church. It's one of the reasons why remaining connected to the body and a local church family is so important. Because if God speaks to us through the church, then we need to be connected in relationship with the body if we are going to receive that, uh, that hearing of God speaking to us. Here's another way. Number four, God speaks to us in our spirits. Nehemiah the Old Testament leader that God used to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after the time of exile. This is the way that the Bible talks about God leading him. Nehemiah 2.12 says, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. See, here's what's significant about the book of Nehemiah. It's really unique. Nowhere in Nehemiah does Nehemiah hear a verbal command given to him by God. Nowhere is there handwriting on the wall. God speaks to Nehemiah by placing in his heart his will and his desire. And all through Scripture, we actually see this. God gives this burning ambition or a dream or some holy discontent to his people that serves as a way to lead us and guide us. Acts 17, this happens to Paul. Acts 17, verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. See, his spirit was provoked. He was witnessing something happening, and God was stirring something in him, and so he followed what God was stirring. He followed what God was doing. He didn't have a, a heaven's open moment at this point in time. He did have those at other points, but at this point, it was just that God was really making in him this provoking of his heart. And here's number five, that God speaks and leads us through our circumstances, Again, I'm telling you, all of these other ones, except number one, have to be held open-handed and have to be applied to the Word of God. But we can see clearly throughout Scripture that God does use our circumstances in order to lead us. Acts 16, Paul is on a missionary journey. He's trying to get where he believes God has called him to go, and all of a sudden they keep running into obstacles. All of a sudden, no matter how hard they try, they can't move forward. And it's when this happens that he has the dream of the Macedonians saying, come over here. 
It, but it was his circumstances, the reality that they just couldn't move forward. But wasn't Paul on a missionary journey for God? Wasn't he doing what God had asked him to do? Yes, but God will use our circumstances to redirect us and point us in the right direction. And I'll just tell you, every honest Christian I know will tell you that there are times in their walk with God that God does the opposite of what you expect Him to do. That you come to a place where you are certain you know exactly what God is going to do and something different happens. You don't get the job offer. The school sends you a rejection notice. The girl that you propose to says no. The home loan or the financing falls through. The visa application is denied. And you think, well... God, aren't you speaking to me? And he thinks, yeah, I'm using your circumstances right now to speak to you. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, it says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Listen to this. For a wide open, for a, a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It, it's interesting. He, he said, no spirit voice, no, because God commanded me. He said, there's a wide open door here. There's something open here, and it's not because it's easy. He said there's all kinds of problems here, but there's an open door, and he just automatically felt like the fact that this door has opened up here is God saying, I want you to stay, even though there were problems associated with it. Now, I have to again clarify, a difficulty doesn't always mean that God is stopping you and saying no to something, Right? And an open door doesn't always mean that God is saying, this is what I want you to do. Jonah showed up on, he was running from God, and he gets to the harbor, and there's a ship that just happens to be heading 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Now, Jonah could have said, well, obviously God wants me to get on this ship because it's here and I'm here, so this is God's will for my life. And we do that all the time. It doesn't mean just because there's an open door that it's God's door for you. And it doesn't mean just because a door is closed that God doesn't want you to wait and be patient and continue to press forward. You know, the verse that helps me the most in this is Proverbs 3, 6. And I know this is probably many of your life verses. I just think it's so important. If you don't have it memorized, circle it on your note sheet and make sure that you go home and memorize it. Proverbs 3, 6 says this, In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I read this verse like a contract. This verse says, if I will acknowledge God, which means if I'll follow him, if I'll obey his word, if I'll listen to him, <clears throat> if I'll let him lead me, then I will be positioned in the place to follow into God's purpose and plan for my life. If I will be obedient to what he's asking me to do and follow him, then he will lead me and guide me to where I need to go. So band, you can come back up. But I'm going to end this message with really two words that I think are the most important things for us to understand when it comes to being led by and following the Holy Spirit. And here's the first one. The word is saturation. It's a lot like the word abide that we looked at last week. We need to be a people who are saturated in the word of God. You cannot know the will of God for your life without the Word of God. So we need to let Him shape us and form us by His Word. We have to saturate ourselves in God's Word. We need to also saturate ourselves in worship and prayer. We need to be a people 
who are spending time with God. That's why I like this word saturation. It's intentional. It, it means that I'm putting myself in a position to be in God's presence, used by God, to hear God's voice, to worship God. It, it's a relationship. It's a place of time and proximity. If you want to be led by God, then you got to get to know Him. If you want to get to know Him, then you got to spend time with Him. You need to be in this place of allowing Him just to pour out on your life. We have to make this a priority. Is being saturated in God's presence a priority for our life? And the second one is to surrender. Have you surrendered yourself? to the Holy Spirit? Have you realized that this Christian life is not about a body of material for us to learn and memorize? It's not about a list of things for us to do and not do. It's about us surrendering to and following after Jesus. It's about us coming to a place where we positioned ourselves before the Lord and we say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. I'll listen. What would you have me do? Let me ask you, have you prayed this prayer? God, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? In what place are your hands and feet needed? What would you have my eyes to see? What would you have my money to bless? What would you have my life to impact? Have you surrendered to the Holy Spirit? Have you said, here I am? 